Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. Welcome, wizards and muggles out there to the world of All Things Narrative and to this month's edition of Why We Love. We are back. It is September, and we've got another exciting franchise to talk about today. Franchise is a weird word. I don't even like that we call them franchises because these are essentially great stories, right? Great stories of literature and film and stories that shape us as people and culture. So, you know, we should really ditch that word franchise. It sounds so corporate, right? So, Welcome to the All Things Narrative Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, I just want to take a second and say welcome, welcome, welcome. And before we dive into this topic, I just wanted to let you know that All Things Narrative doesn't just do podcasts. We also do workshops and one-on-one coaching. What do we tend to focus on? We focus on all things narrative. So the art of storytelling, um, narrative therapy practices, how to merge these worlds together. And so we really are interested in understanding how stories influence us, how they shape who we are, and how they inspire us to keep going even in the most difficult of times. And so what we're going to talk about today is a wonderful series that I feel like whenever I do a workshop, this comes up at some point, either, you know, if it's a one-off workshop or a six-week workshop, because it's such a great story that resonates with so many people, and it's a great connecting point as well. I wanted to take a second and read a review that somebody wrote about that workshop, uh, the Live a Meaningful Story workshop. They wrote on Google that I really enjoyed each each session of this workshop to the fullest. Derek asked the right questions to help you see your story as a collective of experience that shape you into who you are today. And he helps you to have hope for the future. Especially as a young adult, I found this helpful in knowing how to view the past while looking ahead with meaning. And so, I mean, that's what we're going for right there. And so if you want to learn more about what we do at All Things Narrative, please visit allthingsnarrative.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and all the social media, all that jazz. And of course, subscribe to the podcast here so that way you never miss an episode. Now, for these Why We Loves, I'm not alone. I've actually got some very, very special people in my life here today. So the first one sitting right next to me for the first time on the All Things Narrative podcast is my wonderful, beautiful, amazing wife, Tori. Hello, everybody. I'm Tori. And joining me and Tori is someone very special to us as well. One of my best friends in the whole world. Uh, He was a groomsman at my wedding. Um, He has been in my life for way more than half my life and all the way from Southern California, I want to introduce to you, Mr. Braden Storkerson. Welcome. Oh, I'm so stoked to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun, you know, for these Why We Loves, they're uh, series that I tend to know a lot about previously, but this one, um, I'm really excited to have you both on because you both know way more than I do about Harry Potter. And so I'm excited to to learn from you guys. And, you know, I never read the book, so that's kind of my first confession. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm. You've watched all of the Harry Potter movies? Yes. So I'm, I basically am going off the movies. So I'm going to come at it at that perspective. And then you guys, you know, who have read the books and seen the movies, I'm very curious to get your perspective on this as well. So now I, I know some people don't like the newer movies, but have you seen the Fantastic Beast movies as well? I've only seen we both of us have only seen the first Fantastic Beast movie and we weren't. OK, like, wow. OK, so we weren't like super impressed with it enough to keep going. But what about you? Yeah, I've seen all of them. And honestly, yeah, it's it is not. They are not that great. The first one I enjoyed, but it mm-hmm. wasn't mind-blowing and then the second and third one have have been rough to say yeah. the least the, the the third one kelsey for those of us that's my wife we were watching it and we were so confused the entire movie really like it did it did not make sense why the plot was progressing as it was until the very end it was I don't know what they were doing over there when they were writing that movie, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, oh, but it's sad. one of those things, I'm a completionist. I'm committed to finishing it at this sure. point. Sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, yeah, for this discussion, we're going to really focus in on the main seven books. Um, yes. And eight movies. So sorry, Fantastic Beast fan, and if you're a fan of The Cursed Child, um, we're not going to hit on those. So we're going to strictly... Just talk about the main books and films. So are we ready to jump into this? Yeah, I'm ready. Here we go. Why we love Harry Potter. We like to start these off with a quote unquote brief history of Harry Potter. And I'll keep it brief because I don't know a ton, but you guys can maybe fill in if there's any details that I miss in this intro here. So in 1990, an aspiring young writer named J.K. Rowling was sitting on a train to London. Uh, Sounds great, right? (laughs) For those of you who don't know, London is like me and Tori's favorite place. Um, have you been there before, Braden? I have never been to London. Uh, we should um, all go sometime. Never really been to the to much of Europe at all, to be honest. Oh yeah, we we got it. We should do that. We should do that together. I think we'd have a blast. Oh but my gosh, I, I still want to go to Europe. <laughs> they have a they actually have a Harry Potter, you know, because they have the Harry Potter experience. Um, they have part of it in the Warner Brothers Museum. I don't know if you've done that before out in Burbank. Um, I haven't actually. It's really cool because they have like a, it's like a mu- the museum there. So they have a lot of movie props there. Um, I remember when mm-hmm. I went, they had the, the original sorting hat, which was really cool. And I got to be sorted by it. Um, oh, that's awesome. Which house? Gryffindor. Oh, nice. How about you, Tor? Oh, she didn't do it. She still hasn't been. Oh, got it. But, but, um, we, we can talk about houses later. Sorry. I'm distracted. No, no, this is good. Um, but yeah, in Europe, they have the big, uh, Harry Potter tour. It's like the big thing where you get to go. But we did go to, when we went to Oxford, um, the Great Hall is Oxford's dining hall. Oh, wow. Okay, so I, I knew a lot of it's in Edinburgh, I believe, yes. right? In Scotland. I think like so. Like it's not actually in, yeah, that's so interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, the Great Hall was in Oxford and we were kind of surprised too when we were there and we heard that. But yeah, anyway, sorry, I keep getting off track of this brief history here. So she, her train got delayed um, and while she was delayed, she started to scribble down kind of the initial ideas for what would become Harry Potter. You know, the the characters, the world building, all that stuff. And it's actually interesting because I what I, I read this week was that she, I think she came up with the ending right then and there. Yeah, she master planned the whole series. I mean, there's so many references to later elements of the plot, even within the first book. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, no, she definitely knew what she was doing and she knew what story she wanted to tell and how she wanted to get there. The crazy part of this story, and this is like a common theme with everyone we've talked about, like all these great creators, you know, with Stanley at Marvel and Walt Disney and George Lucas. There's this running theme and J.K. Rowling fits right into this as well. J.K. Rowling was rejected by 12 publishers, which is insane to me. Um, but in. Yeah, there's so much resilience to keep going. Yeah, yeah. But um, but in England, a company called Bloomsbury very British name, uh, and the American version of that, which is Scholastic, um, they were the companies that finally agreed to publish it. It's funny because I didn't know this either, that they wanted her pen name to sound more gender neutral. So that's actually where the, you know, the idea of, you know, her pen name being J.K. Rowling came from, was they said like, ah, we, we wanted a pen name that could appeal more to male readers. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, if you're in England, or the Sorcerer's Stone, if you're in America, was published in 1997. So I was five. How old were you, Tori? Four? And how old were you, Brayden, in 97? Yeah, I was three years old at the time. Okay, so three years old in 97. And so we know that she went on to write six other books um, that we'll all talk about today. And these books have sold more than 500 million copies. That's half a billion books and made around $7.7 billion. And Deathly Hollows, in fact, uh, I don't know if it still holds this title or not, but it's because it was the fastest selling book in history, selling 11 million copies in 24 hours. And there were whole like FedEx trucks that had to be dedicated just to carrying that book out. And so, of course, we know that Harry Potter has gone on to spur, you know, successful films, games, the Broadway play, and even a successful theme park, which Brayden, you and I had the pleasure. I had the pleasure of taking you there in Orlando. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Getting butterbeer and just exploring the whole park. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that was that was amazing. Actually taking the Hogwarts Express between the two parks because yes. they split it between two. It's not just one section. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget that. It's incredible. Now, Brayden, next time you come out here, they put a new ride in there. Have you heard about this ride? Oh, did they? Yes. No, I haven't. It is probably the my favorite roller coaster I've ever been on in my life. Whoa, that's 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 setting the bar high. What, Brayden, what, this, what is it? This ride is nuts. To, to hear, I, I don't want to. I'm not going to spoil the ride because it's good if you know nothing going in. But yeah, Tori's going to say something on okay. it too. 
Yeah, it's my favorite roller coaster ever. Like it was just what, which is so weird because you think of like how cool could a roller coaster be? But it was, it was right. so cool. So excellent roller coaster. Wow. What's the name of it? Hagrid's Motorbike Adventure. We oh, okay. Yes, we, I have heard of this. We waited two and a half hours for it. Totally worth it. Oh my goodness. It was worth every moment. And we, when we got there, it was still like light outside. And then when we got on the ride, it was dark out. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's how you know it's a good ride when it's that, oh my that gosh. long to wait. It, it is. Yeah. I will wait in that line for that too. Like again, because that, that is easily. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the best ride ever. So we have to go when you come to visit. I know you want to do Disney World and all that, but when you come to visit, we have to do that. Yeah, it's I, I yeah. Oh yeah, it's, no, it's, we, it's worth it. I'm I'm getting we're, we're getting robes. We're gonna get wands. We're, <laughs> we're, we're going all out with it. <laughs> oh man, it's good. So that's all I got for the brief history. What I'd love to hear from each and every one of us now is what were your personal introductions to Harry Potter? So how did you first get into it? Um, Brayden, you want to go first? Yes, I was in first grade. I was at Christopher O'Neill's house for an overnighter. Oh, I remember him. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I, I don't I don't know where he's at now. I, I I have not heard from him in years. I've tried to find him on social media, but anyway. So I was at his house for an overnighter. It was not a sleepover because we did not remotely sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, at at one point when he kind of like. I think, I think he like went to like shower or something like, and I had said, I just kind of went through his bookshelf and there was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And I read like part of a chapter and mm -hmm. I was just, I was hooked right away. Um, and so then when I went home, I told my mom about it and it turns out my brothers had already gotten the head start on me. Oh wow. And they, like, they would, they'd already been reading it. And so that, that's when I, I jumped on into the mix. And of course, um, I grew up in a Christian household, so there was this reality of, of kind of some opposition to Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, my grandma in particular was very sketch about us reading it. And so we actually read it a several years after it came out because of that, because oh, okay. like my mom had to like read it first to make right. sure it was cool. And then we read it. That's kind yeah, of amazing kind of in first grade you were able to read. Like, that's kind of blowing my mind how good your literary skills were in first grade. Oh, really? Well, it was it was a hard read for me, but yeah, I was still into it. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Well, it's kind of funny. So my great-grandmother bought me the book. <laughs> and um, she actually, she was telling me that she was having... Um, I don't remember exactly how the story went, but it was something that one of her friends in like the little assisted living said, oh, this is really cool. You should get this for your great grandkids. My grandkids love it. And so she bought the book off of a recommendation of another elderly woman who said, the kids like this. You should get this for them. Um, so we got it. And um, at first, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, oh, this is that thing that everybody's into. It's probably lame. So I literally put it on the shelf and I didn't pick it up for a couple of years because everybody was so into it. And I was like, 
it can't be that cool. Like, come on, people. You know, I was totally yeah, my, like my thinking. My great grandma likes it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And my great grandma gave it to me. So, um, I mean, I loved her to death. I really did. So, but anyways, like I didn't think it was going to be that cool. And then I think it was like a summer. Um, I was still probably, I think I was like in fifth grade at that point um, where there was literally nothing to do in the summer. And it was Southern California. So it's like a hundred mm-hmm. plus degrees and you're just sitting there going, oh, I hate everything. And so I saw it sitting on the bookshelf and I was like, you know what? I'll just flip through it because I'm bored. And I think I read the whole thing that summer. Um, And my dad read it too. And so he read the whole thing. I read the whole thing. And then me and him were just hooked. And like every time the new book, like, because at that point, I think there was already at least two or three of them. So like we read that one and then we read the next one. And then we were the people waiting for the next one and got it like, you know, when it said like the fastest book selling, like we were one of those people who wanted to get it like ASAP. I think we bought it at Stater Brothers, the grocery store. You would wait and like people were lined up to get it um, because like all the grocery stores had it. Like every single possible place that sold anything were selling the books. And so um, we got it that way. And so, so yeah, I read all the books, but the movies, I I don't even remember the first time I actually watched the movie, which is kind of funny. Like I don't, that's not as imprinted on my brain as the books and reading the books as if they were like nothing. Like I remember I finished, um, I think it was the goblet of fire, which is like one of the longest books. It's like so long. And I think I read it in four days, like literally just, it was always over the summer because there's nothing to do, you know? And so just keep reading, 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 reading until we would read the whole thing. Um, so yeah, it's fun. So it's funny because my introduction is almost like a combination of your guys's. So like you, Tori, I too, for a while was like, everybody likes this. It must be lame. You know, you want to be like unique and cool and yeah. And like you, yeah, even at like second grade. (laughs) And it's interesting, Brayden, because like you, I also got invited to a Harry Potter sleepover where now this sleepover was nuts because I don't remember a lot of sleepovers to this day, but I remember this one. We were given robes. There were one sleepover. Literally, like we, all the food and drinks was stuff from the books, Mm -hmm. and we were sorted into houses when we arrived. Oh my! Why didn't I get invited to this sleepover? Yeah, this this (laughs) sleepover was nuts, and I knew what nothing, like what nothing was going on. Like I got sorted into Gryffindor, and everybody was like, "Yeah, that's awesome! You got Gryffindor," and I was like, "What's a Gryffindor?" Yeah, you just got thrown right in. I got you were thrown immersed. right you into were baptized it. Yeah. Into and the I just remember, like the birthday boy, he like got Gryffindor, and he's like, "But I want to be in Slytherin." And I was like, "What's a Slytherin? I don't know." And and I said, "Hufflepuff. That sounds weird, you know." And yeah, it was. I didn't know anything. I just knew it was Harry Potter, and I, I just knew that it was things I didn't know about. But I think. Third grade is when I saw the first movie and I, I I did not see it in theaters. I'm pretty sure we saw it after it had come out already on, on DVD and maybe I saw it in theaters. I don't know, but I love the movie. 
I love the movie so much that um, I asked for Harry Potter Legos that Christmas. And I got nice. the Hogwarts Express Lego. I got Snape's Potion Room. I got the uh, the place in the the Fluffy is guarding and goes down to uh, Professor on Quirrell. the third floor. I had the Professor Quirrell where it's like it was his face on one side of the Lego, and then you put twisted it and on the other side was Voldemort. Um, yeah, I had every Lego set from the first Harry Potter except. The Hogwarts Castle. Wow. Yeah, the Hogwarts Castle is massive. That was like a huge project. Well, and like the year before, I got, you know, like the Knight's Castle, like the medieval like Knight's Lego Castle that that was like a set. Oh, yeah. So I had gotten that the year before. My parents said, you don't need another castle. So, but we had all the- neglected. Hey, you could get the Hogwarts castle now. I saw it the other day in a store, so you could still get it. But yeah, so yeah, and then I and then I got and then I remember I was into like it long enough to where I uh, got in a Chamber of Secrets. I watched that movie. I went through this phase for about three years, like end of fifth grade to about end of eighth grade, where like music took over my life. And music took over my life so much that I did not keep up with anything besides music. Literally, yeah, music was all I, that there was. I didn't even see Spider-Man 2 when it came out. Whoa. Yeah, that's how much I, music had taken over my life. Derek didn't see a Spider-Man movie. It's the only Spider-Man movie I never saw in theaters. I saw it like a year later and it was like weird because I was like, why am I not keeping up with anything? But it was like, yeah, three Is that one of your biggest life regrets? Over. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I I didn't keep up with Harry Potter. And I actually did not watch any of the other Harry Potter movies until I met Tori. Wow. I know. We straightened it out. We straightened it So now that we got our intros out of the way... Let's dive into the meat of the conversation, which is, of course, talking about the stories themselves. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go through book by book or movie by movie, if you will. So and maybe try to spend maybe about like five minutes on each at the most and just kind of sharing like, you know, what is that story? What's it? What is it about? What does it kind of resonate with you? Maybe your highlights all that kind of stuff. Then after we share and talk about all these individually, we'll do our rankings. Get ready for that, Brayden. That's going to be tough. That, that's like asking a parent to say which ones are their favorite children. Like, Ooh. like rate, get, give your child tier list. Like that's, that's yeah. you, can't, you can't do it, you know? But, yep. but. <laughs> it's all right. We're going to try. All right. So let's start with the Sorcerer's Stone or the philosopher's stone for our European friends. So what I did, um, and you can check these out on my letterbox if you're interested. I'll have a link in uh, down in the show notes. But what I did for each of these movies is I tried to, as we went back and watched them all or rewatched them all, I really wanted to get at like, what is the central like theme that this story is telling? 
this chapter of the story is telling. And thankfully, like Dumbledore is like a like a like a theme machine. I don't know what to even call it. But like Dumbledore, if you listen, he pretty much always tells you what the movie is about. You know, there's always like one line that you're like, oh, that's what this is about. But for me, to I'll, I'll start the conversation off with this. I think the Sorcerer's Stone is a classic good versus evil, like good triumphs over evil kind of story. It's very much introducing these concepts of the characters and the world building and really trying to establish like the first thing that we know about Harry Potter, you know, is that this is the boy who lived and that the love the of his mother and his father was able to, even though it ended their lives, they were able to save the lives, their love. I think Dumbledore has a line in the movie about that, like, the power of love. They saved his life from Voldemort. And so, and it's even at the end of the movie, oh, by the way, spoilers abound in this podcast. When Harry defeats Voldemort, you know, the first time when he touches him, it's like this purity of love and good that, you know, destroys that which is corrupt and evil. So, yeah. So what do you, what do you guys think? What are your thoughts on Sorcerer's Stone? You know, the book, movie, all that stuff. It's certainly the most nostalgic of of all of them for me, just because that was like the original one that I got introduced to. Um, I can I can say in terms of themes, I I wouldn't even say necessarily there's themes of each book, that, but almost themes of each chapter. That like the 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 very first chapter it introduces the the Dursleys, and you just kind of have this just th- this embrace of normalcy of just in every possible way. They're just trying to fit into the mold. They're trying to be normal. Um, private drive literally just sounds like private, like they're, they're trying to just be remote. And um, Uncle Vernon, he works in the drill industry. Literally, his job is boring. Um, and, then, and then you get to the second chapter with with um, there's kind of this theme of isolation of how Harry feels in their household, but also how um, um, just this reality of how how the, how the snake feels, and just so on and so forth. But really. I, I just see that first book as this o- this opening of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter of yeah. how Harry just has this sense of being in his own world, just feeling like there's nothing special about him, and then suddenly it just opens this whole world. And so, most kids, including myself, you know, we 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 dreamed of get, getting our letter to, to Hogwarts and this oh, sort yeah. of thing of. of of, of, of having this sense of, oh man, like it would be so cool of just feeling like this normal kid, maybe nothing special to now, oh, there is something special about me. Um, and I think that captivated a lot of, a lot of kids, which is something that really kind of drives the narrative of this first book of Harry kind of just experiencing this whole world for the first time and really having no idea he was famous and then being drawn into this whole reality. Yeah, I definitely like world building, you know, in that first book. And I think um, just with Harry, he's such a relatable person. Like even rereading it as an adult, like it's very easy to relate to his feelings. um, And like you kind of feel where he's coming from and things like that. And so it's an interesting contrast because it's like, oh, he's just dealing with normal human things like oh, his adoptive parents essentially 
are really treating him pretty terribly. Um, like they're really quite abusive, despite the fact that he is a genuinely good kid. Like he hasn't done yeah. anything wrong. Like he's just like in very bad circumstances. And then you see like his cousin like is kind of a terrible person, but he gets rewarded for that. And so you see like that frustration in Harry, but at the same time, he still continues to be a good person. And so when he gets like to see that he's a part of this magical world, it's almost like, yes, you can be rewarded for being good and you could be amazing and magical. But at the same time, you still have to deal with like every summer he has to go back to them. He has to deal with it. Like he can't just escape completely. He's just a very relatable person um, to read. And also, I think when you're reading it, it transports you into that magical world, which I think a lot of the times, especially when you're growing up and even as an adult, you just want to escape from the world and like pretend you're in a magical world because the world is hard. Um, and sometimes you don't want to deal with things. And you're like, wouldn't it be nice if I was magical and I could just make all the dishes, all the laundry just disappear and be perfect um so it's like this weird contrast of like you can relate to harry and all the things he's going through emotionally socially and things like that but at the same time you can escape into his world in this magical world and you can escape to it i think with the whole good versus evil it's also a nice reminder like thank goodness i live in the real world where voldemort isn't trying to kill me every single five seconds <laughs> and there's not like this such obvious evil that's like coming after me and invading my thoughts invading the the privacy of people i love and trying to kill me so um it's one of those contrasts between very relatable and very different from our reality yeah yeah and kind of bringing the film aspect into that a little bit the, Chris Columbus, who directed that film, doesn't get enough credit for building that from the ground up because he literally had to take the book and bring it all to life. Him and the team that he assembled to visualize all that, to design the sets of Hogwarts, to design uh, Gringotts and Diagon Alley, to get all to cast. I mean, my goodness, talk about casting all those characters, you know, what a what a task that was. And then uh, to hire great people like John Williams to do the score. And I and I still and I stand by that the first two Harry Potter movies, the music is never as good in the rest of the films as in those first two. Um, it's it's iconic. It's amazing how how good the music is in those movies. And so the the world just feels so real. It feels lived in. Uh, that's why we talk about Universal, how cool it is when you go there. And even, you know, as I was re-watching the movie, I, I love and adore this movie. Yeah, the act, some of the child actors don't. They're they're learning, they're getting in their groove, you know. But but <laughs> yeah, it's not really so prisoner of Azkaban. That right. They <laughs> they know what they're doing. Right. But still, I think I think it's a it's a good starting performance. I think the adults carry it for sure. Um, because they cast some great, great um actors oh, and yeah. actresses in those roles. But even if like the first Harry Potter movie is like the only if that was the only one, it's a fantastic story, you know? It's a great first movie, it's a great foundation point, it's a great story to build off of but also self-contained enough so i'd love it so any anything else about sorcerer's stone before we go to the next one no i think it just it set the stage really powerfully for the rest of the series yeah 
And I think Chamber of Secrets does what a good sequel does and just builds right off it. Let's get to Hogwarts, but let's get to Hogwarts a little differently this time. Let's see some different classes in Hogwarts. Like, I think Chamber of Secrets has the herbology, like the plants, right? So, like, you know, you get to see more of the world and you get to go deeper into it. And, you know, Chamber of Secrets, when I was rewatching it, you know, this really is a story about choices. There is a line in the movie about like choices, you know, actions. I don't remember the exact line, but about how choices and actions can reveal a person, you know, what's important to them and who they are and, and all that stuff. I'm totally butchering that. But yeah, the theme of choices in that movie is really interesting. But my favorite thing about Chamber of Secrets is just the mystery. It's got a really, like, I think it's a mystery that's way better even than the first one. But it's really compelling. And I remember the first time I'm watching it, I'm like, is this Hagrid? Is this Malfoy? Like, what's going on, you know, like, with all this stuff? And I I know that Chamber of Secrets, from what I could tell in the fan community, is kind of in the lower tier of Harry Potter for a lot of people, both the movie and the book. But I... I've always had a soft spot for that one. I just, I find it incredible. I find Tom Riddle and how he finds Tom Riddle and the diary. And of course, the climax of Chamber of Secrets is easily one of my favorites because I love in the first two movies that Ron kind of gets a lot to do. And then I feel like after the second movie, he kind of doesn't for a while. Um, I think in the third movie, we'll talk about Hermione kind of gets some important stuff to do, but you know, I like the chamber of secrets. Like I like how he has to like how he finds out how to get in there. And then just the whole like basilisk and the whole fight and Tom Riddle. Like I, I love that. It's one of my favorite like climaxes of, of any of the movies. So yeah, I really, really like chamber of secrets. So I don't know. What about you guys? I love how they build up Tom Riddle's backstory. So the actual backstory of the main villain at this point. And, and I always, didn't, and I didn't know that was Voldemort when I saw the movie. So like, Oh yeah, that's the big twist. Yeah. So yeah. I was like blown away. Like that was like, Whoa. Yeah. Th- there's always that JK Rowling twist in every single book, but yeah, that one in particular where you're just th- th- this character that's been there this whole time, it, it's revealed that he is the main villain. It's not yeah. just, some random other character, but it truly is. It's Voldemort himself. Well, and they really um, explore in that one, they really begin to explore the connection between Harry and Voldemort just by even revealing how similar they are. Like the conversation with Dumbledore with, is there something you wish to tell me? No, sir. And Harry's kind of bothered like, hey. And yeah, there's a frequent theme that comes up in several of the movies and stuff about how it's not about how you're alike. It's how you're different. But I like how Chamber of Secrets really starts with that. Yes. Yeah. It really sets the groundwork for the Horcruxes with Harry being connected to Voldemort with the reality of the diary. Um, I, I just think it's a, such a, such a beautiful one, but yeah, like you said, it's rated lower by a lot of people. I think the movie I would rank a little lower just because of the acting at that point. But in terms of plot, I, I think it's definitely up there for me. I think Chamber of Secrets the first time I watched it, I was terrified, for one. It's the spiders. No, it was the snake. Oh, yeah. That too. Um, the basilisk. Something yeah. slithering in the walls, like whispering. 
And that really freaked me out. And then also I remember as you're reading the book, you start to um, question Harry. You know, as you're reading it, you're like, is Harry doing this? Like, is he actually doing this? And um, and it's funny because you as the reader are kind of like his classmates and his classmates are also like, he's the one who's doing this. Like Harry's the one who's trying to kill people. And, you know, he's the one who can talk to snakes. So surely he's dark and and it and it makes you think a little bit about like, who is Harry? Like, who is he as a person? And you really see kind of the trio with like Ron and Hermione, like really getting his back in that movie. And you see like their loyalty to him because they know him um, and they know who he is. And they really, they kind of ground him in that sense. And the fact that they all, they're all needed to solve the mystery. Like they each have a part to play in solving that mystery. And then, and then the fact that it's Ginny, I thought that was a huge plot twist. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Ginny who's doing this. And she's like that young, like innocent kind of character where you're just like, oh my gosh, she's been corrupted, but she doesn't even know it. And so there's just, there's just so many things. And then the fact that like he has to, fight a giant snake Voldemort's memory which seems just as powerful as Voldemort himself while Ginny's dying and then he's dying and you just feel hopeless like there's no possible way this could happen and then when the phoenix comes in I remember even when I was reading it going okay big deal what's the phoenix like great you clawed his eyes out they're still going to die. You know, like it was just so many mysterious things that like took a while for you to like so many things happen at once. Um, so yeah, the, the, the climax of that book is just really good and really incredible. And it really does solidify, I think like Harry's character, like he's willing to risk his own life to save someone. Um, like you see the courage in him and you see that, um, sort of altruistic behaviors that continue throughout the whole series. So it's a really good, I think, character development one for all three of the main characters, um, as well as the villain. And let's not forget the introduction of one of the greatest Harry Potter characters of all Dobby. Yes. Master has given Dobby a sock. As if the climax wasn't good enough with all that going on, then the way he sets Dobby free and, and all that, I'm just like, come on. This is like the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the the part where um Lucius kicks him down the stairs, that was totally improvised. Oh, was um, it? Yeah. So so of course Dobby was CGI'd. And so when right. they film it, he like did the motion of like kicking. And initially the, the director was like, oh, like, let's refilm that. Like they, they thought he like tripped over his robe or something. And he went, no, no, I was, I was kicking Dobby. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and, they, and they loved it so much that, oh, that then they animated that in. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Well, and the whole thing with Dobby that I think, and you get it a lot more in the books than you do in the movies, but like there's so much tension amongst the different magical races there's so much tension between the wizards, the elves, the the um, centurions, the goblins. Like it's so like it's so tense all the time. And you really only get glimpses of that in the movie. Um, so it's very easy to miss in the movies. But like that's like a huge theme across all the books is the tension between these different um, races, you could say, of magical creatures. So that that's a huge theme that I think is missed in the movies. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. At one point in the books, I mean, Hermione even starts a whole organization to advocate for the rights of house elves where that's completely glossed over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, that's completely glossed over in the movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a shame that there's a lot that they don't get to cover because I feel like the movies yeah. have to focus on kind of the bare bones story. Yeah, because, I mean, there's so much there. I mean, I would feel awkward to see a recast, but it would be really cool if there was something like a Netflix series where each season was, was a it, book. Was a like, book. they truly yeah. just made each chapter an episode, really expand upon it. You can use stuff from Pottermore. The, the whole thing, it'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I can't see them ever doing this again. Like, there's no yeah. way I think they'll no, ever sure. do another Harry Potter, like, adaptation of these books. But... Yeah, it would feel very weird yeah. to recast. <laughs> but let's keep going to the next one now. So Prisoner of Azkaban. A story about fear. It took me a bit while I was watching the movie to kind of figure out, right? There's a scene where they're in the classroom and it's kind of their fears in the mirror, in a mirror, right? Or the box, right? Yeah, he comes out of the box. Yeah, he comes out of the box. The, the bogger. Yes, which is one of my favorite scenes in that movie. Um, because yeah. you get to learn more about characters. They have something to overcome visually. It's really cool what's going on there. Um, but yeah, it's, I was like, oh, this is a movie about fear. And you know, that's where you get the Dementors that are introduced and Harry's genuinely afraid. And then you get kind of the climax there where it's all about facing these fears. And there's this looming fear of who is Sirius Black and who is he? And then of course that's subverted once we realize that he's actually a pretty cool dude. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, you know, talk about how Prisoner of Azkaban is the most cinematic of them all in terms of films. I mean, it's gorgeous film. There's definitely it's change of directors to, to really capture, you know, different aspects of Hogwarts. Uh, lots of, awesome directing and visual stuff going on. And I totally acknowledge that, but I will say something very unpopular right now. Prisoner of Azkaban, probably the most overrated. Uh-oh. Oh, there you are. <laughs> I, I turned off my video. He purpose. turned off that, his that. video for that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I realized I, that that'd be lost in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. Love, I'm sorry, everybody out there. I know, I know people love it. I think for me, coming off of Chamber of Secrets, which has such a great mystery and buildup. And don't get me wrong, I love the time travel sequence um at in you know in this movie. I love a lot of that so much. But with how much happened in Chamber of Secrets that advanced the story, I always felt like this is kind of the one that does the least to advance the overall story. It kind of feels like a one-off. It doesn't feel super significant compared to the rest of the films, which is maybe what people like. It feels like a smaller scale story. But for me, with how epic Chamber of Secrets was, I just kind of feel like this was a step down. I'm sorry, everybody. You guys go ahead and tear me apart. What do you got, Braid? Yeah, I, I love Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, I love the introduction of the different beasts and all, all the different mythical creatures. Um, if, as far as the movie goes, that, that was the first movie I have I had ever seen in an IMAX. So that was like a really just cool experience to, to get to see that. Um, but yeah, in terms of the beasts, oh man, like, like I just, I just see this ongoing theme of just, of 
of taking something that that could be chaotic and and making it beautiful, making it whole. So like you said, yeah, the, t- the, taking the fear yeah, of the like bogger and yeah, t- yeah, take take the fear of the bogger and turning it into laughter. Um, taking the depression, which was like dementors were meant to represent, right? And and turning that into joy of like th- through the Patronus charm, um, and really ultimately just in Harry's experience of. See, of just seeing his past of how his parents were were killed and right. all of this and then the this the the brief joy of potentially being able to to leave the Dursleys and go to Sirius Black and really just his mindset at the end is 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 just transformed in contrast to the beginning of the movie. So yeah, I think yeah. Just I mean, turning chaos into beauty is a yeah. huge theme for me. Oh, I mean, I love it. Yeah, I love all that. It's just, you know, in comparison to the rest. Is it because Voldemort's not a main person in that that book? That is true. I do. I he do, doesn't really make I, an appearance I, in that I do one. kind of feel like the antagonist and all that is kind of anticlimactic. I mean, it's, I, lo- it's I love the plot twist. Yeah, I like <laughs> it too. I just kind of don't think like, I think compared to the other challenges, I'm sorry. I know. Uh, uh, Tori, what do you got on this one? <laughs> I mean, um, Prisoner of Azkaban, I think, I just remember reading it and the whole thing with the bogger where it was like your greatest fear gets in front of you. And I just remember thinking, what is my greatest fear? Like what would pop out of that? And it really, um, it made me wonder like, what is my greatest fear? Cause I mean, you look at like, you know, like there's a lot of classic ones. Like there was, you know, like Ron spiders, you know, like that's a very, you know, not basic fear, but like a, a normal fear that people have. Um, and so, and like, even in the movie, they show a lot of like basic fears, like snakes, clowns, things like that, that people are afraid of. And then Hermione is like being afraid of, um, like failing, like failure is her greatest fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of see Hermione a little bit differently cause she's like exhausted that entire book cause she's doing way too much and trying to take on way more than she's supposed to. And her greatest fear is failure. Um, and so you kind of see her, um, like her fear makes sense when you, when you, as she develops as a character. And I think, um, the whole time stuff with it, the time stuff always kind of made me annoyed because I'm like, why don't they just use these all the time? Yep. (laughs) Like if they can change time, like why don't they just do that all the time? Like something screwed up. Let's just change it. Something else screwed up. Let's just change it. So it seems weird that the wizarding world would have this. And I think there's something in the book and Brayden, you can tell me if I'm wrong that I think it's in the fifth, the fifth one when they go through the um, ministry, they destroy all the time turners. So that doesn't exist anymore. But I remember thinking like, even in the fourth book, not to jump ahead, but like, why don't they just time turn and bring back Cedric and bring back all these terrible things that happen. Like, why don't they just use these all the time? Like, why does Hermione that's actually the, just so she can do more classes? This doesn't make any sense. So I always that's thought actually that was part weird. of the plot of the cursed um, child, which I don't know if that's a justification for why it's not my favorite, but it's part of the cursed child. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, to get off, off point there, but yeah, not, not to major spoiler, but I mean, what part of the plot is like there, there is a time turner discovered and like they screw they, everything up. 
and yeah, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a mess. <laughs> Yeah, I I actually really like Chris Child. Would 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 recommend at least checking it out. <laughs> I I have a theory that they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting till all these kid actors, you know, are a lot older, and I guarantee they will make a Harry Potter ninth movie. You know, I guarantee it. Guarantee. I, huh? I guarantee it's coming. <laughs> I would. The main actors are almost old enough. I, I mean, wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if. Did you watch the HBO Max special? I did. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if, when all those actors were there, they said, "Hey, can you all sign on for this?" But so many of them are dead now, like actor-wise, unfortunately. Like, yeah, unfortunately. But the ones who I are think- alive, I think they would try to make something happen. It's too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah, in terms of cursed child, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, Snape makes an appearance. So, yeah, he'd be the one, Alan Rickman would be the one person that wouldn't yeah. be able to do it. Whereas, yeah, all the, the main the main three, though, I mean, they're like 33, 34 right now. So, I mean, and they're 36 in The Cursed Child. So, yeah, yeah they're like they're like right there. I'm telling you, you heard it first here. <laughs> all right let's go to the goblet of fire next uh definitely the midpoint of this series um and it's a good it's a it's a good turning point um i think everybody with goblet of fire always talks about that um that this is kind of like the last story where you kind of get like just kind of being at hogwarts and there's something lurking underneath the surface i like the whole concept of you know, the Triwizard Cup. And I like the fact that Harry has to face these different challenges that kind of correlate to things we've previously seen. You know, like Harry has to use his Quidditch skills with the dragon and has to learn his knowledge of beasts and stuff like that that he's learned. We get to see Harry be altruistic in the um, the underwater challenge when he saves, what's her name? Um, is it Flora? Yeah, her sure. little sister, that's it. Um, so, you know, we get to see in Goblet of Fire the ideas and themes and all that of the first three really starting to come in and challenge him. But then we also get to see everything drastically turn in what I think might be the greatest twist in all of them. Um, I can't think of a better twist. And that is, of course the turn of the final challenge of Harry, uh, what a port key, right? That's what they call it. And then Harry, of <laughs> course, being you know, summoning Voldemort that like that whole scene is nuts. It is absolutely nuts. Um, and that's, that's the thing in Goblet of Fires. I really think it's a story about relationships and connections. So it's about like, like we're exploring the relationship between Harry and Voldemort. You know, he keeps having these dreams or nightmares, whatever you want to call them. We explore the relationship between Harry and the other students at Hogwarts. Um, We explore romantic relationships really for the first time with the, what's his name? Victor Crumb and Hermione and um, Cedric Diggory. And, you know, like we get to explore like, 
connections and bonds and friendships and relationships and better understanding how all those work. As a film, I think Goblet of Fire is like the least amazing in some ways as a film. I, I heard that the director of Goblet of Fire like didn't even read the book or did read the previous books or watch the previous movies. I, this was his only film that he made. And it's remarkable how uh, much symmetry and connection and tie-ins there are between all eight films, considering they're made by four different people. Yeah, what are, you, what are your guys' thoughts on, on Goblet of Fire, on this turning point of the narrative? I love Goblet of Fire. I, it's it's wonderful to me how they really open up the the Wizarding world beyond just Hogwarts to the other schools. At that point, you get to actually see okay that there's much more to this than just yeah. than just the UK, which I think really sets it up beautifully for the rest of the series in how okay now th this is truly a, a whole Wizarding war that this is opening up to with with Voldemort coming back. Um, and really, it's kind of the, the loss of childhood for for Harry and all yes, these people. Okay, now now we're this isn't just some task that that Harry and his friends are navigating. It is now a whole world war essentially that th that they have to have to navigate. Yeah, Goblet of Fire has always been one of my favorites as well. Um, it was interesting rereading it. I think I reread it last year, and it's interesting. Like as you're reading the book, like. It's very um, anxiety. Like there's so much anxiety in that book. Like he's constantly anxious about the next like task. Like he's always worried about what's going to happen in the next one. Um, and also that's one of the books where you see a test of friendship because, you know, like in the beginning, Ron is like, why didn't you, 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 you put your name in? How did you do that? Like, and like, Harry's like, I didn't do it. Um, and like Ron's kind of upset, um, with him and kind of that little teenage drama there. Um, and so Harry feels all alone because nobody believes him and everyone's against him. Um, and so, except Hermione, who's, you know, pretty loyal the whole time. Um, and so you see kind of that testing of the friendship with them. Um, and, um, that gets, and I think that's kind of a theme for Harry as well. Like he gets punished for doing good, um, like pretty consistently throughout all of them. He gets punished or he gets accused or something for, for genuinely trying to be good and trying to do the right thing. Um, I mean, he is sometimes a troublemaker, like he's sometimes a smart aleck, but like in general, most of the time when he's in trouble, it's because he was trying to do the right thing. Um, and so I think the other thing I loved with Goblet, of fire is just like, like you said, like all the tasks, like all the beasts, like all the different like challenges they have to face. Um, especially knowing he's like, he's so young, he's inexperienced, like he's the underdog. Um, uh, everyone's against him. And so like you as the reader are like, yeah, we're, you got this Harry where no one else is like that. Um, and I think there's a really sweet moment, too, in Goblet of Fire, like toward the last task where it's like um, before the last task, everyone brings their family to like wish you good luck. And he doesn't have any family. And like the obviously the Dursleys are the one that raised him, but they wouldn't show. And it's the Weasleys that come mm -hmm. and they've like fully adopted him. They're like, we are so proud of you. Like I, and like you just see them totally opening their arms and like, you know, they're. They're there. They're like, we're supporting you no matter what. 
Um, and I always thought that was just like the sweetest thing. And I always just thought like, oh, like what a beautiful example of like families opening up their hearts to other people um, and welcoming them in. And I, I always love that scene, especially now as a mom. Like I'm like, oh, I just so want that for my kids to feel like that love from other families. And I'm hoping that I can share that type of love with other kids. Um, like my own friends, you know, my kids' friends and stuff, you know. Um, so I thought that was a very sweet moment in that book. One of my favorites. Yeah, that was good stuff. All right, so with that, the moment I've been waiting for, we get to talk about the Order of the Phoenix, which in my opinion is the masterpiece of the Harry Potter series. I don't know about the books, but the movie, oh my gosh. When I saw this movie for the first time, I felt like Harry Potter went on another level. Like it went from being great to being magnificent. I cannot believe how good this story in this movie is. I don't use this lightly. This is like a five-star, pretty flawless movie. For, now, I know as an adaptation of the book, it might not be amazing. I don't know. You guys will have to tell me. But I love it. So this is very, to me, this is the most obvious like one of all the movies to tell what it's about. Order of the Phoenix is really about um, moving from isolation and into community, into belonging, finding your place. You have the opening shot of the movie where Harry is on this playground, which is wonderful as he's mourning his innocence. And he's looking out at these kids playing, realizing that he will never have that again. But he's also shown alone and isolated. And in that opening shot, it tells me everything I need to know about where this story is going to start and what Harry's going to need to learn to grow. So this movie really deepens the connection uh, between Harry and Voldemort quite a lot. Um, now we know that Harry can see what Voldemort is doing and we see that Voldemort can get inside his head. So it adds a new level of vulnerability that's internal, which I love. We also see, um, who I think is besides Voldemort, the most sinister villain in the whole Harry Potter series, Umbridge. The, the even at least when Voldemort's like, there and he's doing terrible things there's like this element of like obviously we know he's bad and he's not like people don't like him but umbridge is like a different level like umbridge for one is the kind of person that can't exist in the real world and umbridge is somebody that keeps getting away with crap the the detention that i will not tell lies the way she like oversteps McGonagall and Dumbledore's like boundaries is terrifying because you think those people are so untouchable and the whole ministry of magic like you could see that there are other powers trying in check and you kind of see this three-way struggle between Hogwarts the ministry and Voldemort and, and his Death Eaters I mean, you also get the introduction of Luna Lovegood you get the introduction of Bellatrix 
You get characters like Neville and Snape that start to get more depth in to them, you know? Like, this is where we start to see that there's more to Snape um, than what we might see. But my favorite thing about this movie is that the other kids besides Harry finally get to do things. Like, finally we get to see Harry passing on what he's learning, this role of a teacher, of a mentor, which I know, Brayden, I'm sure you can relate with that, you know? And getting to see the new order of the Phoenix, like rising up from the ashes of all the terrible stuff going on and seeing them actually, like the whole climax, this is probably my favorite climax in all the movies. Um, getting to see Harry and all the students working together um, as Voldemort infiltrates the Ministry of Magic, which I think is symbolic and has so much weight in what it's trying to say there. This idea of infiltrating from the inside, you know? And that whole fight, the whole duel with them all and Sirius Black and Lupin and the adults joining in as well. And it's it's madness. It's so well done. And the fact that Harry has the realization that he has something that Voldemort doesn't, which is a family, a community. That, I think, is the biggest like growing point for Harry in all the movies because this is someone who was orphaned and didn't get that, and now he's finally found that. I could talk about this movie forever, but I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on what you think of it. Like, like you said, or the Phoenix introduced one of my favorite characters, Luna Lovegood. My cat is literally named Luna yeah. uh, because of Luna Lovegood, <laughs> as well as, um, of course, the least favorite character in Dolores Umbridge. And my my brothers and I, when we were younger, we didn't necessarily like Order of the Phoenix because it's a slower build in terms of reading. We used to always say it's just a thousand pages of Harry going through puberty. Like it's just I think it's just the, the emotional, too, right? I think goblets longer. Yes, it is. It is longer than the Bible. It is. <laughs> it, is it is so intense. Um, but yeah, it's just it's very drawn out, and so there's lots of there's the emotional roller coaster of of hair of Harry. But yes, I, I love how it it truly just kind of brings to light just Dumbledore's army. Like you said, the more more characters start to get to do things, it's not just Harry versus the world, but it truly is. You get to see you get to see Luna shine. You get to see Neville. You see all all of these different characters really come to light that I just I really love the the one the one qualm I have with the movie scene where Dumbledore gets confronted by the Ministry of Magic in the movie they really downgrade it they they, they nerf Dumbledore so much oh, in, the, in the movie yeah. he just tell make they make the comment of like oh Dumbledore has style. Whereas in the book, he completely obliterates yeah. every single cool. person. Like, he like he knocks them out. Oh wow! Yes, you get to see you get to see Dumbledore's power, and then same deal in the very final fight scene where then Voldemort comes and there's the fight scene between Dumbledore and and Voldemort. Same deal, much more epic in the book. So I just, I just feel like I understand it's probably in terms of animation and stuff like that. Like they kind of just try to keep it simple, but it could have been so epic of what they could have done with Dumbledore there. Thinking about this movie being even more epic than it already is 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 really cool. You know, like yeah, 
And just one little side thing on making Dumbledore epic. Um, the chocolate frog card, it says that the, the, the duel between Dumbledore and Grindelwald was, was almost two hours. And I've, I've said, I've said to my, I've said to my brother and several other people, I'm like, I would love to see the final movie of Fantastic Beasts basically just be the duel. Like the, the whole movie is like like an hour and a half of just it is duel. just that is just the duel. And then and then maybe it just has like an extra hour of like just different side things that it just jumps to, but like the whole movie is almost just the duel itself. I'll just yeah, truly give it us. Dumbledore is like such a powerful character in the book, yeah. not just because he's like mentoring, but he's mysterious too. Like you see that throughout the whole thing. Like he doesn't always give you the whole story. Like he's very much just giving Harry piece by piece, like what he needs to know in this moment. Um, and you see like how powerful he is in that book, like with the dueling. And then, yeah, I remember reading that scene when the ministry comes in and my, one of my favorite moments is when Umbridge is like, I am now headmistress. And the they don't the gargoyles do not let her in the office like the headmaster's <laughs> office and I just yeah. remember thinking that's right you know um, but I, I it wasn't my favorite book simply because of her I hated reading about her and I hated that book that I was constantly having to read about this horrible person and so it made me not like the book because of how much I didn't like that character. Um, that's what makes it so compelling, though, is because her as a villain ties in so well with what Harry's like and as an antagonist to what Harry is trying to do, because Harry is trying to be this teacher leader role that is kind of outside of the books. They, he doesn't play by, you know, and Umbridge is the opposite of that. And that clash, you know, is so cool, even though it. Yeah, agreed. She's super uncomfortable. But man, she on uh, like and keep in mind this is a story where Voldemort and his army and Bellatrix and all these people are also antagonists so the fact that you were able to bring in another antagonist in the castle like that adds to this level of like nowhere is safe but it it really um a, a lot of a lot of kids too just growing up with that book it really um helps them just to think about just our, our own world of pro- propaganda. Yeah. Of, of oh, politicians that's just, a whole other just, thing it, in Goblet of Fire and Order of Phoenix is the whole like uh, the what's it called? The Daily Prophet. Yeah, exactly. Like you see, you see the theme. reality in in Harry Potter, which kind of makes you just think of think of our own world of, OK, what 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 are things that are being covered up by politicians? And it, and it goes to show it's not just one person who's at the helm that oh they're the evil one if you just get rid of them then everything's fine but like yeah like there's all these other people who have bought into the this narrative Mm -hmm. that that is ultimately leading to the the chaos that they're seeing in the world that it's not just Voldemort it is people like Umbridge and the Death Eaters as well that is contributing to the darkness in the world yeah, like one of the one of my favorite scenes in both the book and the movie was when Harry yells at Umbridge in class and he's like, Voldemort is back. And she's like, detention and go to McGonagall's office or whatever. And McGonagall just has him sit down and she's like, so you said Voldemort is back. And he's like, yes. 
have a biscuit, Harry. Like, it was just like the greatest <laughs> moment where you're just like, that's yes. right, McGonagall. You are my favorite person in this whole series. And that's right. It just made me so happy. Yeah, McGonagall rocks as, as everything goes on. I think there's no doubt about that. I'm glad we really get to highlight all these different characters. And when we get to the Half-Blood Prince, I think this is really where Malfoy gets gets his good character moments, you know? Um, because I think up until this point, he's kind of this one dimensional, like maybe two dimensional bully, but here we actually get to see a real conflict that he has to have, not just the external conflict of figuring out the vanishing cabinet, but the internal conflict of, am I on the right side and can I do this? So Half-Blood Prince to me is a story all about trust, primarily can Harry trusting Dumbledore no matter what? Despite not having all the information, despite certain hesitancies and, you know, and it's also about, you know, can uh, Voldemort and his followers, can they trust Malfoy to do what he's going to do? Can they trust Snape to do what he's going to do? You know, he takes that oath or whatever, you know, and the whole climax of Half-Blood Prince is, of course, founded on the, you know, when Dumbledore says to Harry, do exactly as I say, no matter what. And getting to see Dumbledore in such a fragile state as he's under this, I don't know what it is, curse or whatever it is when they're in the cave, but getting to see Harry, you know, in that conflict. And then, of course, um, Dumbledore's death and getting to see, like, that whole moment and Snape and Harry, you know, and I mean... Yeah, it's it's quite a, it's quite a story. So I don't have too much more to say other than that. Um, but what do you guys have on Half Blood Prince? It, it is one of the the biggest plot twists when Snape kills Dumbledore. Like that 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 is very iconic. But I, I think even within the title Half Blood of you this this whole thing is about the tension between kind of the pure bloods versus blood blood. Like there's this there's this. There's this hatred. There's this division that kind of fuels a lot of it. Is, is um, Snape a half-blood? Well, I know yes. he's the half-blood prince, but it's weird because wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't Voldemort's like followers who are like obsessed with like purebloods and everything, like wouldn't they have it out for Snape because he's a half-blood? They don't even. Well, like I, I think that is something that's meant to parallel the real world that. Um, like Hitler, for example, people believe that he was likely had some Jewish yeah, blood, blood in yeah. him. But um, Voldemort himself was half blood. So yeah, true. And 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 so and so was Harry. And so that that's actually the mystery throughout the whole thing of like, okay, is pe- people initially like the re- when you're first reading the book, you think similar to the, the diary with Tom Riddle. You're like, oh, Voldemort's probably gonna be the half blood prince. Um, but then it turns out to be Snape. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was something that was kind of kept secret, essentially that they were half bloods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the half blood prince is probably my second favorite. Mm. Um, I just loved that book. And I loved, I mean, I just, I just love that book. Um, there's so many good moments in that book and there's so many good testing moments of Harry um, where he's tested like the whole thing with him trying to learn from Snape and he doesn't trust Snape mm-hmm. so he can't learn from him mm-hmm. you know and and just like and then also you see the development I mean you see him um, with his friends and also with Ginny like that's the that's the one where they start to become 
of a couple, really. And so it's just a lot more, it's more grown up, you know? Like, it's just a lot more intense. Um, and then you also see, like, this kind of obsession in Harry, too. Um, I mean, that's kind of in there. Like, he has a tendency toward obsession. You see it in several of the things. Like, he becomes obsessed with Malfoy. He becomes obsessed with the Half-Blood Prince book. Um, it's, it's like this It's this thing in him that gets obsessed with things. Um, and you'll see it in the Deathly Hollows. He becomes obsessed with the story of the Deathly Hollows. Um, so you kind of see it, like, pushing him in bad directions, obsession. Um, and so it's something he realizes... And not to jump forward to Deathly Hollows, but he realizes his tendency toward obsession and how that leads him not in good places. So, but the one thing about that movie that I hated that they didn't do right was when, when the, in the, in the end, when Dumbledore and him go back, Harry's, un, the, Dumbledore says go under, in the movie, he goes underneath and he's watching everything. Well, in the book, he gets the invisibility cloak thrown on and Dumbledore with his final basically breath that he has while holding a wand does the stupefy on Harry. So he's paralyzed. He can't move. He can't do anything. And that's, and Malfoy has no idea he's there. Nobody has any idea that he's there. Um, and so Harry is paralyzed watching all this go down. And that's because in that moment that they comes back, Dumbledore made a choice. He decided that he was going to protect Harry and prevent Harry from doing something stupid and let Malfoy disarm him. And I always thought that that was such an pivotal choice that Dumbledore made that he wasn't going to protect himself. He was going to protect Harry. Um, and they didn't do that in the movie. In the movie, they made it look like Harry's just sitting there watching everything. And I'm like, that's not Harry's character. Harry's character would have literally jumped up, defended Dumbledore, done anything possible to defend him. And it didn't show in the movie. Like, the movie was just like, oh, Harry's just watching underneath, not doing anything. And so I always hated that in the movie. Did, did you find that Brayden true? Like, when you watched it, you were like, no, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, like that. Like they tried to kind of show that like Harry was kind of frozen with fear, like shock. But like, yeah, like you said in the books, he's literally paralyzed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like he he cannot move yeah. because of what Dumbledore has done. Um, and so yeah, that was another discrepancy where it's always huge bummer. And then so, same with the buildup of when it finally reveals that Snape's the Half Blood Prince. It's just such a. It's not as much of like a, it's kind of anticlimactic in the movie. I felt like versus in the book, there was more of a dialogue there. Yeah. He kind of just says it walks away. Yeah. I think that is something that as we get into these later movies, they could have benefited from a bit more is just more dialogue um, in scenes, you know, and I'll talk about that when I get to Deathly Hollows part two, especially, but um, yeah, this actually, we should probably transition into those because um, I know we're we're getting quite into this episode in terms of time. Deathly Hollows, you know, we could talk about part one and part two. Man, I think part one is easily the darkest film in, out of all of them. Like from the beginning to the end, it is insanely dark. Even for me who can handle a lot of dark stuff, I'm like, man, this, this film is kind of heavy. But man, this movie like... This movie like feels big. Like it feels like everything, every choice matters so much. And 
you know, as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, man, this is kind of hard to watch them meandering around struggling and whatnot. And then that's when it kind of hit me in the middle of the movie. I'm like, oh, this is a movie about perseverance. This is a movie about pushing onward, even when things don't look hopeful and you're not seeing results, which is really cool of a story because you don't, you know, there's lots of stories about perseverance, but I don't actually like feel like you have to persevere, but that's kind of how you feel when you watch the movie. But, um, I really love like Ron and Hermione really get to come into their own and get to have some awesome moments, whether it's Ron, um, getting to destroy the locket with the sword, um, Hermione just being courageous with everything going on. It's another great climax. These movies have really great climaxes, you know, with them being in the prison and Dobby bailing them out and obviously his tragic death, which is, yeah, it's, that's one of the deaths that I think hurts the most. But yeah, and and it actually it actually also has the only like a uh, scene, like it has like an actually like that cool animated scene with like the, the tale of the three brothers and talking about introducing the Deathly Hollows. Like, I love that just kind of more like I wish movies, the movies had a little bit more of that kind of change of look to them. Um, yeah, but I think it's a solid, I know people don't tend to like this one as much cause they tend to see it as a part one and like it's slow and all that, but I like it because part two is very fast paced and I like having a very character driven, slower story that you really challenges both the characters and the audience. So that's what I got on, on that one. Yeah. But anything, no, I loved how one? long it was. I, I would have, I would have been down for all the movies to be like that. Like just Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I think these movies need films. extended <laughs> cuts. I, I really yeah. think they, they, I know there's deleted scenes out there that I looked up and seemed pretty, you know, like, Oh, that scene's in the book. I heard that scene. But these real movies could have extended cuts and they would be people would get them, you know? Um, oh, yeah. I, Each one could have been four or five hours. Like I said, like the Lord of the Rings director's cuts. Yeah. Where, yeah. And yeah, I would watch. I would watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I also remember, Tori, I remember you saying as we were watching this that you felt like this one was pretty faithful to the yeah. book. Yeah, because in the book, it's dragging. Like it's purposefully like they're having conversations about how they're not getting anywhere and they're frustrated and Ron's frustrated and Hermione's frustrated. Harry's frustrated. Everybody's frustrated that they're like not making progress and there's a war going on out there. And like everybody's life is on the line. Like so many people are like risking literally their lives um, because the world's in chaos. It's literally, there is chaos all around and Harry's frustrated that he's in a bubble you know, and can't fix that chaos. So yeah, it's an excellent, excellent movie. I would say of the first part of the Deathly Hollows. I mean, there's always a couple things that you wish they would have done differently, but like for the most part, I think I think it was a great part one. Yes, it's super faithful and consistent with the books, which and and I I just think it it finally just brings everything together. Yeah, like we talked about earlier on with the with the very first book kind of this big idea was that the magic of love is much stronger yes. than, than dark, any dark magic yes. and ultimately you, you see this in harry going and sacrificing himself he is the final horror crux that, right. that brings everything together and so he literally dies to save his friends and then there's this resurrection it's this very uh yeah, it's, kind of, it's, kind of, 
yeah, Christian imagery. Yeah, it's the Christ like, story. Very explicitly. Did you know? Yeah, it's the did Christ you know, story. You'll appreciate this because I know I, I have lots of conversations with Christians that don't like Harry Potter because it's yeah, witchcraft. Yeah, J.K. Rowling grew up Lutheran. Yeah, so that's one thing I tell them is J.K. Rowling, you know, was raised Lutheran and that's her essential worldview as she's telling these stories. Um, mm hmm yeah, I, I also point out like, okay, if you don't like Harry Potter, then throw out Lord of the Rings and Narnia too, because they also have magic oh, yeah. and wizards. They and all stuff. have witchcraft in them. But yeah. here's something you'll get a kick out of. Did you know that I listened to a, an interview recently with N.T. Wright, where he was asked, the biblical scholar that we we know, and he was yeah. asked like, your generation had like Narnia and Lord of the Rings, um, you know, as these great epic myths that, you know, kind of help tell the Christian story. <laughs> And uh, they the they asked like there's not really anything like that nowadays, is there? And he's kind of like not really, but there kind of is. There's Harry Potter. He's like that's probably what I would recommend. Uh, to, oh, that's to, to Christian children to read, you know. Which some people hearing this might be like, ah, what? But um, yeah, that idea when you get to Deathly Hollows Part Two of the death, you know, that Harry faces his death like in a very Christ-like manner, like he faces his mortality. Um, and then we obviously know with, with the death, with having the deathly hollows, mm -hmm. he's able to overcome death and come out the other side. And I mean, like, yeah, that he moment, becomes master of death with all three. Yeah. And that moment, you know, when you think about how this series, the way you're talking about bringing it back full circle to the first one, this series opened with ha Hagrid carrying a baby Harry. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and now we have Hagrid carrying the dead body of Harry into Hogwarts. Yeah. Which is very ominous, yeah. you know, uh, of an image there. And you see, like, in the first movie, Harry confronts Voldemort in the forest, and he's afraid and whatnot. And now he's facing Voldemort like a man all grown up. And so there's just yeah. a lot of, between the, the films, you know, and I'm sure in the books as well, there's just a lot of, like, poetic you know, symbolism and connections and callbacks. And this really is the payoff when you get to part two. It's big. It moves quickly. Um, there, There's so much that's great. Neville is kind of the MVP for me in that movie, besides Harry, of course. Um, Neville just gets so many awesome moments and getting to see how far that character came from him trying to stop Harry and Ron and Hermione in the first film to now like cutting off the head of Voldemort's snake, you know, like it's just, it's so great. There's obviously it's, it's great payoff. The battle in Hogwarts is great. My complaint with part two, my only complaint is that movie should have been way longer. Like for, for how <laughs> yeah. that much of a finale, like that movie is rushed. Like, and I, and I did look it up. There are scenes cut out and like, Every time I was telling Tori, like, wait, how did Luna get back to Hogwarts? Like, wait, how did this happen? How did mm -hmm. that? There's literally deleted scenes for all that stuff. And I think it all should have been kept in. And I think you really should have had like a 15 minute, like Return of the King, like style ending. Because once Voldemort's defeated and they break the wand, which I think is wonderful, then we immediately go to like the future and his kids and all that, which is wonderful. But man, I was like, I want to see like what's going to happen to Hogwarts. Like, who's the new headmaster now? How does 
life go on? What happens with the ministry of magic after all this? Um, maybe we should have seen Fred's funeral, you know? Um, there's so much stuff that I'm like, man, I wish we would have had more character moments with this being the end. And you guys could tell me if the books had more of that, but I kind of like wish this movie kind of took its time, included more. Yeah. I will say that the one big discrepancy between the book and the movie is the death of Voldemort. Um, when he dies in the movie, he kind of like, dissipates he like fades into dust yeah this very yeah, yeah. kind of like mystical death yeah whereas in the book it, he truly does just die it's his body on the ground and jk rowling like, explicitly states it as the, the third person narrator that like at the end of the day he's he's just like the, everyone's looking at him and he's just he's just a human i think that would have been way better yeah, and, this person who's caused so much destruction and chaos and, in the world, and, and Tori said, there's their body. And Tori said as well, because I was talking about the final fight, and I'm like, there needs to be way more dialogue between them, like in the movie. Yeah. And apparently there is in the book, because I'm like, they don't really say much to each other, and I'm kind of like, that's a missed opportunity. Like, there is so much they would say to each other um, with everything they've been through, and they don't really get that much character conversation yeah yeah like like you said it would have been really cool to see a, an extended cut of every single one of every single one but of these. the biggest thing that surprised me about that movie is obviously what probably surprised many people and that severus snape are you talking about him the reveal you know with the tears and after his oh death. yes i mean my gosh talk about completely reframing the narrative of that character and when you go back and rewatch everything it changes how you see that character. It is, it is really good storytelling. I absolutely yeah. love what they did with him. Yes. I think it brings so much more complexity to him as a character. I don't like when people then start romanticizing him as being like, he was always just such a good dude. I'm like, no, no he, <laughs> he joined these dark wizards. Like, oh, well, he was just bullied. And No, 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 no. No. Like, oh, he didn't have friends. It's like, no, no, he had his group of friends. And they were, they were just obsessed with, yeah, they were obsessed with being, with joining Voldemort. And it wasn't that he like didn't have any friends, just he, <laughs> and that he was, oh, like this, this boy, an oppressed person. It was, yeah, he had this, he had like a rivalry with, with James Potter and there's this ongoing deal with that. And yeah, so he, and he was a terribly abusive person. Yeah. A complex person for sure. Yeah. There's these reasonings behind us, but to, to make him out into a good person is, is what I don't like what some people do with, with that narrative. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love how, like, uh, to go back to that idea of what you just shared earlier about the power of love, it's the power of his love for Lily that actually gives him a chance at redemption. Yeah, yeah, he, he's... And, and so that that's the tension as well of, okay, where... Because because many would just kind of even point out, and I, I struggle with as well, like, it's... I wouldn't even necessarily say it was love. It was, it was almost like this obsession on, on his end. Um, yeah, true. But, but yeah, I, I could, I could see that theme as well. Like that is what, what draws him this whole time of, of wanting to kind of continue to, to care for Harry in, in some way, shape or form through it all because he's the son of Lily Potter. I mean, I just, this was my favorite book just because it was the culmination, you know, it was the, 
final connecting of the dots that we had strung for years of, you know, finally you understand everything. So that just made it such a special book. Um, and the, and it was just like when it ends and like Voldemort's dead, it's like, wait, what, you know? And, and then, and then it's like, you go into like this mourning because the story is over. But at the same time, you're mourning the death of like all these people that died in order to end Voldemort. And I think that's why I don't like the idea of the cursed child because I'm like that throws in the face all these sacrifices that happened. And I hate the idea that he could come back and because of like all the things that happened. Um, That's just a side note there. But um, yeah, so like the Deathly Hollows, it's just it's an excellent it's an excellent story. Like it's so complex, but it's not confusing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's complex, but not confusing. There's so many little subplots that are going on at the same time, which I find so compelling. Like in this book, you have a lot of um, distrust of Dumbledore, like this person that you've looked up to this whole time. Um, and suddenly Harry doesn't even know if he trusts him anymore. Um, and and you're not even sure who to believe and who to trust. And so like you see that tension there. And then I love this scene with um, Aberforth where Aberforth's like, oh, Dumbledore left you a job. Was it a good one? Nice, easy, nice job, you know? Um, and you see Harry in that moment, like that's confronting his fear. Like, yeah, that Dumbledore did this to me and it's horrible and Dumbledore wasn't as great as I thought. But Dumbledore, no, but Harry, he makes a choice. He's like, I'm not basing my decision off of what Dumbledore said. At this point, this is my decision and I'm going to do this because it is the right thing to do. And I'm not doing this because Dumbledore told me to do this. I'm doing this because this is what needs to happen in order to save the world, essentially. And this is the right thing to do. Um, and I just think that's a very beautiful way of showing that character development inside of him to where he's not just trusting Dumbledore. He's like, he's all in, not just because of Dumbledore, but because it is the right thing and he sees that this is the right thing to do. Yeah, you, you really yeah. see his growth at that point and how he's gotten there. And you really, yeah. What were you going to say, Braden? I was going to say it brings so much humanity to yes. Albus Dumbledore as, as a character. Yes. Because up until this point, he has kind of been represented as like this flawless, perfect human being right. who, you know, just just has everything all figured out. Whereas... Yeah, there still is the reality of like he just has this master plan, but it it kind of becomes this. Oh, he he's kind of a manipulative person. Like every everyone kind of just seems like just like chess pieces in his in his game as he's trying trying to figure out how to defeat Dumbledore or he's trying to just defeat Voldemort. Right, right. Um, and so I think it it brings humanity into the how how deeply flawed even this character is. And I remember, my memory's hazy on this, so I might be wrong. I thought I heard, read something where J.K. Rowling was asked, like, what is Harry Potter essentially a story about? And she, I, I thought I remember her saying it was essentially about a story about death, a story about how, what can come from out of death. So, like, you have it, the, mm -hmm. the move, the story opens with the death of his parents, but yeah. through their love, their child is saved. And then, of course, you have at the end of the series, you have, uh, and and death is also the midpoint with the Goblet of Fire as well, with the death of of Cedric, Cedric, 
And then, of course, you've got the end where even though Harry dies, he learns to master death and to not let it have the same power that it had over his parents. And that Voldemort is trying to cheat death. You know, that's his whole thing is he's also trying to master death, but he's trying to master it through dark arts and terrible things, you know? So, yeah, that's a story of Harry Potter, I guess. Boom. Boom. We did it. do this with our spider-man one because that episode just went way over on time but we're going to get back to doing our rankings um of you know in this case the books and the movies so yeah you could either do brayden tory you could either do like maybe if you've done all of them um you could do like uh just some highlights but going from like your least favorite to your favorite i think we can all agree that none of these are bad right like these, these are none of these are bad at all. And they're not bad films. They're not bad books. They're not bad stories. But obviously, we're going to have preferences. And that's kind of more what we're talking about here. So, so Braden, what, what would you say, like least favorite to favorite? I, I kind of joked earlier that th- this is almost like asking someone to, like a parent to rank their favorite children, yeah, you know, like yeah. just, just, just giving me your child tier list. You know, it's, it's like these movies and these books have such, each of them have such a special place in my heart that it's right. hard for me to give an order for them. Um, and it all depends what we're talking about. Is it, are we talking about nostalgic factor? Are we talking about plot of the story? Are we talking about the acting, the quality of the movie um, in terms of the directors and cinematically? Um, but so I, I this is kind of get my best shot though, except when you asked. So the, in terms of the bo- both books and movies, Goblet of Fire is number one for me. Okay. I absolutely love just the flow of it, how it opens up the world to the other schools, how it really sets the stage for yeah. just the whole Wizarding War starting. Um, and th- th- that to me is fantastic. Yeah. And then from there, for the books, Order of the Phoenix is the bottom. Ah. My, my brothers and I, we used to joke that Order of the Phoenix was... Essentially, Harry Potter going through puberty for a thousand pages. It was just more of a slow read in terms of getting to Hogwarts, in terms of getting into the flow of things. The movie, it gets started way quicker, but the book is much more slow. It's much more dense. But then from there, essentially, Deathly Hallows is number two for me with the books. Half-Blood Prince, number three. Prisoner of Azkaban, number four. Chamber of Secrets, five. And Sorcerer's Stone, six and then like i said order the phoenix seven then for the movies goblet of fire top once again half-blood prince is close second prisoner of azkaban amazing that's my third um first movie i ever saw on imax just definitely what was a was a key experience for me deathly hallows one for number four deathly hallows two for number five order the phoenix number six a little lower uh, for sure as well, even with the movies. Chamber of Secrets and Sorcerer's Stone are almost kind of tied for last for me um, in terms of the movies. They hold wildly nostalgic. Just They're so nostalgic for me. But in terms of just the acting and stuff like that, it's it's kind of hard to watch. It's just that the actors are kind of just 
getting the hang of things, you know? So th- those are kind of more of the bottom tiers for me. So yeah, that is my Harry Potter cool. rankings. All right. Awesome. How about you, Tori? Well, I don't like ranking anything personally. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go well with my personality of ranking things. Um, so I will just say my favorite, which is the Deathly Hollows um, book and movies. You said I think you said Half Blood was your second, and Half Blood is my second favorite. And the rest, I I love them all. I just I have them. It depends on my mood, you know. If I feel like. If I feel like having a good time and just enjoying a magical world, I want to read or watch The Sorcerer's Stone. If I'm more in like, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on my mood, you know? And so I, I feel like The Deathly Hallows, The Half-Blood Prince, and The Sorcerer's Stone are probably the ones that I hold dearest. Although I really do love, I love them all. So, you know, I just do. Do you have one that like, when you know you're going to watch all of them or even when you know you're going to read them all, one that you're just kind of like, mm, I'm not looking forward to this one as much. No. Wow. Cool. Awesome. Well, again, this is from somebody who has not read the books. This is just movies. This is going to be very unpopular for a, for based on what I've read out there for a lot of people. So please don't stone me or please don't do a Patronus on me or anything like that. <laughs> a, Patronus, a Patronus wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a bad thing. It's just a, yeah, exactly. it's just an embodiment of joy. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Don't stupefy me. Thank you. Don't stupefy yeah. me for this don't, one. Don't hex you. Don't hex yeah. me. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. None of that. All right. Number eight um, would be, I'm so sorry, guys, the half blood prince. I'm sorry it's not bad it's just the one I least enjoy number seven I'm also sorry everyone out there would be the prisoner of Azkaban number yeah I know Braden's shaking his head most of these are not even like on a film level it's more like what the story is you know Um, number six Six and five, I literally have gone back and forth all day on. I flip-flopped them all day. This is where I've landed right now, just barely. Six, I put Goblet of Fire. And five, I put Chamber of Secrets. But they're very close. I just can't get over how good Chamber of Secrets is when it's good. But Goblet of Fire is also really good when it's good, so they're close. But they're but definitely like the middle tier Harry Potter movies for me. Um, number four, I surprised me when I was rewatching the movies, but number four is actually Deathly Hollows part one, um, which I originally had at number seven when I, when I did the rankings before I started. So that one moved up a lot when I watched it. Um, number three is Sorcerer's Stone. Um, it's the OG. It's obviously my introduction of Harry Potter and, just a great story as I've talked about. Number two is Deathly Hollows Part Two. Um, even though I think the movie is missing some things, what it gives you, I think, is really when you understand what the Harry Potter movies and what the story is all about. And number one, as I have already said on here, is Order of the Phoenix. So there we go. So I want to end this. As we do with every how uh, why we love episode, just going around and talking about how does Harry Potter inspire you to live 
a meaningful story. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Braden, why don't you start? I would say just, okay. So, so the, the main reality of, of love being kind of that, that is the strongest force in the world that that is something that guides me on so many levels, but something that I see so much throughout Harry Potter and something that's always a big discussion, um, is kind of getting beyond dualistic thinking. I think sometimes particularly when we talk about like the houses in Harry Potter, there's that tendency to be like, oh, all Slytherins are bad or all all Gryffindors are like this, all Hufflepuffs are like this, all right. So th there's this reality of, yeah, categorically things are helpful, but being able to see beyond categories and some elements of, all of us have elements of a Gryff Gryffindor within us. All of us have elements of Hufflepuff within us. All of us have elements of Ravenclaw and Slytherin and so on and so forth. Um, and so to really kind of see that reality and not just to see, not just to e so easily categorize people um, and pinpoint people or even have an us versus them mindset of Harry could have could have been in Slytherin if he, if he chose to. Um, there, there are many good people within Slytherin. And so I think seeing beyond dualistic thinking has been something that you see within Harry Potter that has inspired me and moved me. Yeah, I love that. That reminded me of that conversation at the end of Deathly Hollows, where he has his son and his son's like, well, what if I get Slytherin? And Harry's like, then you'll be a great Slytherin. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. What about you, Tori? Um, I think initially like i said originally harry potter for me is both a escape um so i i tend to use it as like oh i just want to escape into this world where i don't have to you know it's, it's just a world it's an escape right so and i think that's a double-edged sword um because i can understand why there were so many christians when it first came out and even now who are like no, people get obsessed with it and it's too much. And I, I think I think the, the biggest argument I think you could make against it isn't the witchcraft, it's the obsession you see with it. I mean, people got tattoos and like they're naming their kids after that and all kinds of stuff. And I'm not trying to be judgy here, but like I see it, I see it in my own self. Like if I'm reading those books, I don't wanna stop reading those books. Like, I want to be listening to it in the car. I want to be reading it when I have a second of free time. Like, it sucks you in so quickly and so easily, at least for me personally, that I do have to kind of watch myself because suddenly your whole mind is, like, consumed with Harry Potter and, like, all the things involved with it. Um, so I think that is, like, kind of the danger of how easily you can escape into this world and you lose sight of reality. But when you stop and you reflect on it and you're not just thinking about, oh, I love it. It's so great. You can start seeing those themes of love. And I think the biggest theme that I see that affects me is the theme of courage and how the courage that you see, not just in Harry, but like you see it in Lupin and you see it in Ginny and you see it in Mrs. Weasley and you see it in Hermione and Ron and like all these good people. And you see the courage to stand up for what's right. You see the courage to, you know, take on bodily harm and to put yourself in danger for the betterment of others, for just doing what's right. And I think that courage aspect is something that I need to remind myself of because it's a lot easier just to 
hang out in the background and not do anything. But it takes a lot more effort to stand up for what's right when you are facing such opposition. And so I think that's a huge theme for me and why I still enjoy Harry Potter, not just to escape, but like that is something that does inspire me. Um, that like, no, like doing what what is right is the reason for doing something right. It's not just because Dumbledore told me, because my parents told me, because some pastor told me this, that, whatever. It's because it is the right thing to do that I'm going to do something. And I need the courage to do that and not to... I think there's a line in there where it's like Slytherins will always end up defending themselves. Like that's a key trait of Slytherin is like you are self-preservation. That's a big part of it, which self-preservation isn't a bad thing. Um, but that was like one of the dis one of the character traits is self-preservation that I think Slughorn talks about. Um, but you see Slughorn in the end. He's not, he knows like Voldemort is way stronger, way bigger, way like clearly he's taken over the ministry and the whole wizarding world and you see slughorn like no like i'm defying this and i am going to take a stand even though i know i'm probably gonna lose i'm probably gonna die get tortured whatever it is um and i think that type of courage is very admirable and that's something i hope that i can have in my life I'm really glad you brought up courage because that is like a huge overarching theme in all of these that we didn't really touch on yet. Um, yeah, that was really good. That was from the heart. Um, both of you guys. So that was awesome. Um, I won't say too much then. I, I guess for me, when I was a kid and I saw the first movie, um, I always thought about that line that Dumbledore says to Harry when he looks in the mirror and he sees his parents for the first time where he says that it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Um, that's that's always resonated with me from a young age. It's important to dream, but we can't get lost in, in that. We have to face reality and live the life that we have right in front of us. And that's why, you know, when it comes to story and it comes to narrative, you know, that could seem overwhelming because we could see these problems and it could be hard to deal with these problems. And we always talk about here on this podcast that people are not their problems. And it's interesting because Harry, even though he's the chosen one, even though he's, you know, this great wizard, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be a good wizard. Like, not good in terms of, well, yeah, in terms of skill, he has to learn these skills, but in terms of his character, I love that Harry is always on the edge of walking a very similar path to Voldemort and could go in that direction and is tempted to many times, um, tempted to bring his parents back in the first movie. It goes with courage, what you were just sharing, that I just love getting to see Harry persevere time and time again and demonstrate that courage and you know when we face problems it's an opportunity for a character and us to grow to grow in our identity and to define who we are through our actions and that's why i'll end with this quote here which is what sirius black says to harry um in the order of the phoenix towards the end before his death where he says, I want you to listen to me very carefully, Harry, 
You're not a bad person. You're a very good person who bad things have happened to. Besides the world, this kind of goes what to your what you said, Brayden. Um, the world isn't split into good people and death eaters. We've all got both light and dark inside us. What matters is the part we choose to act on. That's who we really are. And that's a challenge for all of us, you know, is, you know, will we allow problems to define us? Or will we learn to rise above and put problems in their proper place and move forward as the protagonists, the active protagonists of our own story? And that's what Harry teaches us to be. And I think that's a good place to end this. So I do. Brayden, Tori, thank you so much for joining me and adding to this conversation with far more than what I could give on it. And so, yeah. Do you mind if I make one one little? Uh, it's 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 like it's like a podcast recommendation. Yeah, if absolutely. Somebody wants to go deeper into this type of stuff. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Oh if, yes, you've told if, me about uh, this. Yes, it is. It is a whole podcast series. It's a. It's um two. It's actually two chaplains from Harvard Divinity School. Uh-huh. Um, human humanist chaplains, and they really kind of run with the idea of a lot of people may not be interested in traditional religion and script like scriptures and stuff like that. But so many people are inspired and moved by books like Harry Potter. Yeah. And so they, they actually take a Harry, a, a chapter of Harry Potter each week. They, 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 they've actually done the whole series already. They started many years ago. Um, they take a chapter each week and they really kind of dive into it almost, almost devotionally talk about the themes, <laughs> how it moves them, stuff like that. And that's funny. Uh, would, would highly recommend it. If someone has listened this far, I would imagine they would like it. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me that that exists because I do think Harry Potter is the great myth of our generation. You know, like yeah. you had like for our parents, it was star Wars. Um, that was the, that was the, the, the series that really built in their time. I think Harry Potter came in our generation and our time. And I mm-hmm. think Marvel Marvel's tricky. Cause it's kind of, in the past and it's in the cross now generation. and it's still going. Yeah. yeah, it's cross generation. But I think Harry Potter is uniquely of our generation and our time. Yeah. You know, I think people will look back at like the two thousands, that decade, and they will say that was the decade that the, the Harry Potter story was told, you know, like as the great, you know, film series and whatnot. So yeah, Tori. Well, in Harry Potter, I just remember like, so many things in Harry Potter are literally the same as all the other myths. Mm-hmm. Like his like his first encounter with like, or challenge as you would say in the Sorcerer's Stone is facing a troll. I mean, that just brings me to the Hobbit, like with Bilbo and what's the first thing he's gotta do? Like he faces trolls. Um, so like there's so many things like that are pulled from, like I, I see a lot of Lord of the Rings. I mean, if you look at Lord of the Rings, I mean, look at what the ring does to Frodo. It makes him it makes him mm. depressed. It makes him moody. It makes it pulls out the worst of him. And that's the exact same thing that the Horcrux does. So like there's so many things that you see from other myths um that are all pulled together. So it's like it's like it's it's not like Harry Potter's new. It's the reworking of the same myth that like humanity has been telling for generations. It's just a reworking of it that feels modern and it feels new to us being, you know, 
because of the time period that we were born in. That's good. And so we'll end there. Brayden, thank you for being on. Thank you so much for having me. Joining us. And um, yeah, uh, I'll be back with the other guys next month for another Why We Love. Um, And in the meantime, everybody out there, um, this is your friendly narrative practitioner signing off, saying thank you so much for sticking with us in this long episode and take care.